everyone. I'm your host, Kayla Waters, and I want to introduce you to a special guest I have joining me today. Amy Nordhues is here with me, and she's an incredible woman. She is the author of a book titled Preyed Upon. She has a BA in sociology and criminology, and she is a married mom of three kids. And she's here with us today to share her story and discuss her book with us. Amy is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, as well as a survivor of sexual abuse as an adult that happened at the hands of a mental health professional. And I actually got in contact with Amy right around the time a few weeks ago when we covered the case of Irene Garza here on the podcast. And that's a case where we saw a man in power use it in a really evil way. And that was within the Catholic Church. And so I just thought Amy's story really connected kind of with Irene's story and I'm glad to have her with us today. So hi Amy. Hi Kayla. For this episode I just wanted to start from the beginning of your story like we talked about and work our way through to what led you into writing this book and then like I said at the end we can take that time to discuss your book and sort of what education about grooming and predatory behavior that our listeners can gain by purchasing your book and reading it. I grew up the oldest of four daughters and I had a good childhood. However, I was taken advantage of um, at a very young age. And that kind of places a target on your back. Mm-hmm. When you are abused in any way, especially sexual, you just you just get that sense something is definitely not right with me. I'm definitely not like normal people, you know? Mm-hmm. And Um, Growing up, it kind of seemed to repeat itself. Um, When I was 12, I found myself being taken advantage of by a Catholic priest. And again, you know, a a swim coach, and and then it was a doctor and a friend. and, And I just thought, you know, what is so wrong with me? Like, how do, you know, how do predators spot me so easily? And so I always just sort of dealt with like low self-esteem and a lot of self-hatred and just the feeling like if you were just normal, if you could just be normal, these things wouldn't happen to you. And fast forward, you know, I, I ended up getting married and I have three beautiful children and, you know, my life was going very well, but my husband and I, when we got married, you know, we both came from dysfunctional families and, and we didn't have really the skills to do emotional intimacy. So we were mm-hmm. very disconnected, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, we did the best we could, but we, we just weren't really in a very healthy place. And so on top of that, I really didn't know how to do closeness. I didn't really know how to do close friends because I felt like if I get close to anyone, they're gonna find out that something's terribly wrong with me. And, you know, so I did do some counseling. Like I did some in my 20s, I did some in my 30s. And it was like, I never could really shake that depression that just seemed to follow me, which I believe now was really Mm -hmm. self-hatred. Yeah. yeah, I read that in your book that you said you struggled with the depression and like trying all sorts of different antidepressants and it just felt like nothing was working. And that you think stems from that abuse you suffered throughout your childhood. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And just the way it made you feel. Yeah, and you know, I was adopted and I just felt very different. Um, okay. I mean, you, you can not be adopted and feel very different. Yeah. But I just felt like 
you know, every, the things that were wrong with me made my life hard. I thought, you know, if I wasn't sensitive and I, if I wasn't emotional, life would be easier for me. And like, you know, in my book, I talk about like the emotions are the source of your problem mm -hmm. instead of the result of, because that's just what I sensed growing up is that um, because I was very different from my parents in that way. Um, anyway, I started to attend a Celebrate Recovery program in 2012 here in my town, which I didn't have an active addiction, but I just, you know, wanted to work on depression and my anger towards God and wanted to work on parenting and my marriage. And that program was hosted at a non-denominational church. And when I went through that program, it really strengthened my faith and um, lessened my anger towards God. And I started to feel like I was this brand new Christian. And so I was kind of in a naive, you know, excited place. Uh -huh. And then, yeah. And then when this therapist came so highly recommended by my pastor's wife and by my friends, um, and I found out he was an elder at the church, I have to add, I started to attend this church that hosted the Celebrate Recovery and fell in love with it. Felt like my life was kind of just starting. Like I was starting to learn how to do close friends. I, I had a pastor I loved. I had my, the pastor's wife was a mentor and we were very close. And so I was full of hope and like new beginning when I start seeing this therapist. Yes. Like you're, yes. and you're trusting him because of his oh, background yeah. with the Christianity and him being involved well, yeah. in the church and around all these like good people that you trust. Yeah. And I think, oh, this is a God thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it just has to be. Right. And um, I was kind of seeing everything through that lens. And um, so I start seeing him at the age of, I think I was 41 and didn't even know adults could be groomed. I had never really experienced grooming. Um, I, I had a lot of sexual abuse, but never anyone who pretended to care about me and pretended that I was special to them and just poured out their love and support on me only to manipulate me and use me later. It, it was just yeah. mind boggling. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a super important topic to bring up saying that you didn't realize adults could be groomed because probably a lot of people feel that same way that they didn't realize yeah. that it's important for people to understand that anyone can be groomed. Yeah. I, I would have said, no, I don't think I could be manipulated like that Ooh, as an adult. Right. And, and I would have said therapists aren't evil predators. Like therapists are all good people. I just had no idea. You know, we talk so much about predators hiding in churches, but you don't read hardly anything about them hiding in a counseling office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hardly you know, ever. Is, yeah. And just imagine, you know, you start saying my therapist was a psychiatrist, so he could say I had any kind of mental illness. And, yes, because he's a doctor you know, that could diagnose you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so kind of jumping ahead, but he, he was just a very, he was a kind of a quirky, grandfatherly, odd type, kind of a goofy type character, which made it kind of hard to it's like you never could quite put your finger on him mm -hmm. like was he goofy silly or is he weird or like yeah um, but since everybody else loved him like loved him I thought well he's just goofy mm -hmm. you know he's not bad he's just goofy like this is so just then, how he is 
Well, yeah, and then those qualities kind of that seemed weird at first seemed they were more endearing then because mm -hmm. it's just you'd say, well, that's just how he is. Mm -hmm. And so I started to see him. I saw him once a week. Um, he was just very kind and very caring. He started our sessions with prayer, um, a lot of spiritual stuff involved in it. And, I, you know, being kind of a new Christian and I, I didn't know a lot about the Bible, um, you know, I just kind of ate it up like I felt like I was in really good hands and. Um, and how could it not be a God thing? I mean, he said that, like, the Holy Spirit was his boss and, mm -hmm. you know, and he, and he opened up in prayer. And so there was a, the first red flag was probably six or seven months in. And it was a shocking one. And I, I mentioned it a lot that he had offered to rub my feet or my shoulders for a Christmas present. It's like, so hmm. everything inside mm -hmm. me is freaking out. Yes. You know, I'm panicking. Mm -hmm. My mind is racing. Like part of my mind is saying like answer, like this is so uncomfortable. Like just, just pick one. Like it's no big deal. Like mm -hmm. he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be offering this if it was bad. Like you trust him and, and maybe, maybe you mentioned that you love having your feet rubbed. Like as a kid, I used to beg my sisters, maybe you said that. And like, he's just trying to make you, you know, I just You're did like all these things. It. Yes. And mm -hmm. you know, when you're abused, when you're young, it's shocking when you get older and you're put in this situation. And, and, you know, maybe even if you aren't abused young, you can experience this, but especially if you've been taken advantage of before, everything in my being was saying, don't make this doctor, this, um, this person in a position of, you know, that has more value than you, this person in a position of authority, don't make them feel uncomfortable. Like, mm -hmm. well, I think a lot of women do that all the time. I mean, I, yeah. I, I've, even just on a regular day to day basis where you might be uncomfortable with something or something's just rubbing you the wrong way, but you're like, well, I want to be nice. I don't want to hurt right. this pe person's feelings. Like this is a good person. And unfortunately I do think that a lot of women and I'm sure kids do, do that all the time where they don't want to hurt this person's feeling. And it's like trying to change the narrative on like, you know what, if you're uncomfortable, you are allowed to say no. And like, if it hurts their feelings, it's okay. But I think it's super hard. It's hard for me. You know, it'd be hard I for know. me to be like, no, like that's uncomfortable. I know because like you said, well, that would be kind of rude, right? Mm -hmm. And who are, who are we to make them feel bad for making us feel bad? Right. You know? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think you're right that in society, we all are conditioned, you know, to be polite. And so we just sort of panic and freeze in those moments and taking care of ourselves and sticking up for ourselves is not usually our first, you yeah. know, our go-to response. Yes. It's always, maybe you're misunderstanding it. Maybe you're too sensitive. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you're the one with the problem. Yes. Because if he's a doctor and he's offering this to you, then probably normal people don't freak out. Like, right. Justifying yeah. it in your head about why you need to make him not feel awkward. Yeah. yeah it's just, so you, so what do you do? You, you tuck it away as, oh, well, I, I don't know how to process that. I'll just store that in a, in a, I'm not sure what to do with that mm -hmm. file in your brain. And then the, you know, the relationship continued and, you know, they don't make a move like that until you, they feel you have a pretty close bond. And 
that you're attached and mm. um you know that you you know he's very they're very slow and methodical mm-hmm. and they're very careful before they make their first move and if they do sense that they have done something too much too soon then they back off and then nothing happens and you kind of forget about it and um that's how it kind of went and so time passed and i eventually never really thought about it again and um decided that yeah i'm just too sensitive and it's not a big deal and they're also skilled because the next time there was a red flag he offers to dance with me which seems super shocking and weird as you hear me saying it but in the process of the therapy that was all about inviting Jesus into these broken places and i had told him that i imagined myself dancing with Jesus like a father daughter type dance because i never had that kind of father daughter bond growing mm-hmm. up and so that void that the that the that the predator that the doctor was trying to fill in me was super powerful so i share this and when he offers to dance again i think amy it's he's offering it because it's it would be therapeutic you're the one that brought it up well right. no i didn't bring it up exactly but i kind of did so they're yeah. master manipulators and they know how to um you know make a move that you're not quite sure if it was your idea or theirs he was using what you told him against you but without yeah. you really realizing in that moment that he's doing this on purpose like you said methodically taking it slow which is very scary and that is what a lot of predators will do yeah and it is so slow and subtle that you don't connect a b and c together that's the thing i didn't know until i got out of the relationship that i'd even been groomed mm-hmm. and when i say groomed i mean like methodically manipulated i i just saw these events i just didn't i just didn't see the pattern yeah i and i think pattern. it's hard for most people that are in it i mean pretty much for everyone who's being groomed it's hard for them to see that until they are out of it yeah and somebody told me once you don't see it because you're not a sociopath and my brain doesn't work that way therefore you know if you're a kind sensitive empathetic person like a lot of us are and you encounter somebody that's pure evil or a, or a pure sociopath is it more likely that you misinterpreted the situation or is it more likely that they're an evil predator i mean my brain doesn't even know how to relate to hurting somebody on purpose right so my brain isn't going to go there no i love that way of looking at it because a lot of the times and maybe you've felt this as you've come out with your abuse um but people like to place blame on victims, victim blame. And so I think by looking at it like that, because a lot of people who have never been abused, they're going to think like, oh, I, I could never, like you said, I could never be manipulated. Like that would never happen to me. Like why why did they like let that happen? But that's, that's not the case. You were not letting it happen. So I like that way. Right of looking at it that you would never think of it like that because you're not a sociopath why would we yeah that would never come up on my radar ever no analyze now maybe it will because i've experienced it 
but I've never seen that level of evil in my life ever. Mm-hmm. I've seen it only on TV and movies. Like, like I heard these people existed, but I'd never actually met one. And it's shocking. Yeah. It, it is shocking. Yeah, no, that's terrifying. So from there, things just, did they just kind of snowball? I know, so out. I'm like in the middle of your book because I'm a slow reader because I have about 10 minutes every day, but I'm like halfway through. So I know at one point, if I'm seeing this correctly or or read it correctly, you had stopped going to him at one point, right? Was there like a seven year break? Yeah. When I first moved to my small town in, oh gosh, I don't know how long it's been. It's been like... 15 years ago now that we moved here, mm-hmm. I was brand new, didn't know a soul. Um, we had two psychiatrists in our entire town and I picked him out of the phone book and I went to him and he brought up again, which I didn't mention this, but he tells all of his victims that they have multiple personalities, mm-hmm. but it's on a spiritual kind of level, like a, like a level that you can't quite, like we could all kind of have it because you can have it and not know you have it. Right. Right. Um, like, and that and that that you have evil spirits mm. and evil spirits and I grew up hearing a lot about evil spirits and so that really was not super shocking to me. I mm-hmm. mean, but but not knowing anyone in town, not loving this church, not getting these recommendations from my pastor, not knowing he's a church elder, not being a a new Christian, I thought he was full of crap and I left. Mm-hmm. And I thought. I don't know what's up with you, but something is off with you. And I never went back. And seven years later, this is when I described this period of, oh my gosh, you know, I'm in love with this new church and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a new Christian and, and, and I'm seeing God everywhere and everybody loves him. And oh my gosh, I must've just judged him too harshly because I was new. And I was like, oh, you're not like my old therapist. And the other thing is I gave him the benefit of the doubt that religious stuff used to really turn me off mm-hmm. and so I would just kind of yeah you're like that no, would have been off-putting like mm-hmm. yeah like oh that's weird yeah now I'm excited and I'm, I'm learning about the bible and I'm in this new place so yes and the thing the weird thing is I don't even make the appointment I had a friend in Celebrate Recovery who had an appointment with him and didn't need it and literally talked to me mm-hmm. on the phone and said you sound kind of depressed and I don't need this appointment literally drove me there and kind of dropped me off on his doorstep like a stray kitten or something. So I felt like a real loser. Oh, no. But that also made me feel indebted to him because he just like took me. Like mm-hmm. I read that and, in your book. Like he took yeah. you in like a stray cat. You like felt. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, that was nice of him. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what most therapists aren't going to do that. I mean, they're not going to just say, okay, I'll take her instead of you. Right. And, you know, I had friends that were on the waiting list trying to get in to see him. And here he just takes me. And so, again, that was part of the grooming. But at the time, I felt like kind of indebted. Like, thank you. That's so nice. Mm-hmm. And, like you thought it yeah. was a sweet gesture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because and you had ran into him at at the church like six months before that. So yeah, at that so point, then, you knew he was like fully in the church. You're in the same church. And all of yeah. a sudden, you're like comfortable now with him, even though he yeah, ran into you Yeah, and I thought, oh, my way. gosh, I can't believe he's a church elder here. Like I like thought he was a weirdo and oh my gosh, I can't believe like I said bad things about him. Like, oh my gosh. And then, then I just felt like I just. So then it made you feel bad, but really like in the beginning you were right. 
basically, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that gets me and frustrates me and that I want people to understand is that as victims, at least for me, my intuition is spot on. I can tell you within seconds if something isn't right, mm -hmm. but here's the thing. I didn't think that I had enough value or worth to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. That's a big difference. Mm -hmm. I, you know, we're people, I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm speaking for other victims, but we're not walking around clueless. We're not missing these red flags. We have the same intuition. We have the same intelligence, the same awareness, but we were taught when we were young and like you said, society plays a role, um, that it would be rude to say no to somebody in a position of authority. Mm -hmm. Even as it got further down the line when I knew he was hurting me, because you know, the times that I thought he was hurting me, at first I thought they were just slip ups and I mean, he was trying to help me and maybe he crossed the line or mm -hmm. he, he was meaning to just care about me and maybe his feelings got in the way. I was seeing it again through a compassionate lens, yes. not a sociopathic lens. Yes. But even like when I knew he was hurting me, I didn't feel like I had the right to get him in trouble. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like, because it's just me, like I don't have any worth, like I should just slink away into the shadows and let him go on with his life. Who am I to disrupt his life? And that's so Which sad. Which is just so, it mm -hmm. is so sad. It really is. Like, and I wonder how we as a, so as a society can change that narrative on victims feeling worthless. And especially when you're growing out of that as you, you know, come out of your childhood abuse. Like, I wish I knew the answer to, you know, know. helping people feel like they're not worthless and it's not their fault. And it's sad that that is what so many victims go through. But I think that's what's really cool about you writing your book and you talking about it, because I think that is a big step in showing other victims that like nothing's wrong with you. Like this happens to people every day, smart people, good people, and it has nothing to do with your worth. But you just. Yeah, I, I agree. That. Yeah, I agree. And there's just so much shame as an adult. If you're manipulated in any way as an adult, you're just so embarrassed and ashamed. But the thing is, you know, that silence and that hiding just compounds it. Yeah, like you makes know? it and, worse. Yeah. And so to be able to come out and say, this person did this to me and it's not okay, you know, it lessens that sense of shame a little bit, I feel like. And so I just, I want other adult victims to know they're not alone so they don't have to hide and, and bear that burden by themselves because adults are taken advantage of all the time. Mm -hmm. There's actually and, a very, very similar story to yours that it's on Dateline. So I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. Maybe, you know, if you've watched oh. it because it would be similar to yours, but it is this man who is in the church. I think he's a priest or something. If I remember right, I'll have to find the episode and send it to you if you haven't seen it, but he ends up being put in a position to counsel couples and he ends up counseling different adult couples. And then he ends up like you said, grooming these people over time into he finds this way to just get the wives in. Like, oh, they need their own private session, yada, yada. And he abused a lot of women that way. And right. all of them were so confused 
after and he ends up I mean he's horrible he ends up murdering his wife and whatnot but it's so similar to this where he's just grooming these people and they are like married women Christian women all these women who never thought that they could be groomed in that way even when they're talking about it on there like they're just like I don't know why I did this like I don't know why this happened and it's like it's because you were abused by someone who's evil right and you know this is so shocking and I might be misquoting this number just a little bit but when I was searching for keywords to list my book on Amazon it was something like over 5,000 people a month search Amazon books for the term can adults be victims oh that's sad So that tells you I know that tells you how many people are out there wondering, can I really see myself as a victim? Because I didn't want what happened, but I still stayed or, mm-hmm. or, but, but look how far it went. Like, I felt like, well, yeah, I left, but why didn't I leave earlier? Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's always that. So it's, it's just really sad. So that's what I'm really trying to do is to just bring awareness to yeah. this issue and lessen the stigma around it. And I'm so tired of, you know, the victim blaming I hear about when women come forward as if it's fun for us to come forward, as if it isn't humiliating and embarrassing and scary to come forward. Mm -hmm. Anyway. And it's sad that there is so much victim blaming, but like you said, like, this is why you are doing this, bringing in an education to it, which I think is so important because that's the only way you're going to break down that stigma around people not understanding that yes, adults can be victims. I cannot believe that yeah. number, 5,000 a month. Yeah, and I think it was over 6,000 a month search uh, therapist who abuse clients. Wow. So this is happening yeah. far more than we are hearing about it. Yes. And there's an organization called Tell that I reached out to um, that is on my website if anyone's listening and they're interested, but they just deal with adult victims of therapist and clergy abuse and they don't like track their numbers but they told me they got hundreds of people a month reaching out to them wow yeah that's a lot considering that when it happened to me I thought I was the first ever (laughs) you're like this has never happened to anyone else except for me I know because no one's talking about it I have never heard I don't hear anything about it Mm -hmm. there's not many books written about it there's starting to be more books written about it Mm -hmm. there's not as much there's not really support for it. Like there has been some, some, you know, organized support for um, Catholic priest abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there really isn't a whole lot for. For specifically therapist abuse. Yeah. 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 They, I hope that I think it that'll starts change, to be, though. yes, kind of as it is more exposed to the world that this is happening, hopefully. We get like a snowball on this. So going back to your story, how after he asked you to dance with him and things are getting more uncomfortable, he, you know, asked for if you wanted your feet rubbed. Does it just snowball from there to end up being to a point where you're like, okay, I'm done? Yeah, what happened was he started to change it from because I was very attached as a, as a daughter figure. Mm-hmm. Like he even said that he had adopted me. Um, so he had to try to morph this relationship now into more of a, like I felt like he was trying to lure me into an emotional fa- 
affair, which was super creepy considering as he was my father figure. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had to work really hard at trying to change that. And I felt like, again, like he was trying to do good by me and now his feelings have gotten in too deep. Or I thought, is there some weird connection between his mom and me? Cause he'd said some weird things. Oh. So I realized that, you know, he was going, he was crossing that line and I wasn't interested in any kind of, you know, emotional affair, even if there was no physical, I didn't, I wouldn't have had those feelings in a million years. And, and I told him it made me feel uncomfortable and, um, and he would kind of back off and he would say this really cheesy line. He'd say, well, a part of my heart loves you like a father. Um, and, and it's just that pesky teenage part of me that loves you in a romantic way. And I was like, what does that even mean? And like, yeah, gross, you know? Yeah. You're like, you're my therapist. I'm married. But I was Can you stop? so attached. I was mm-hmm. so attached and I wasn't really getting my needs met anywhere else as far as emotional, like connection mm-hmm. with people, except for my really close friend and mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I especially had never had like a, like a parental bond, like like this. And I, I just didn't want to walk away from it. So I, I was wrestling with God, like, like, okay, I know what he's trying to do is bad, but, but I'm going to fix it. Like he'll stop. I'll, I'll convince him to stop. And then it'll just go back to being like the safe nurturing kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Because when you, when you read farther, he'll eventually weasel his way to my side of the office and eventually he'll start sitting next to me. And I liked that. And I thought that was safe. Mm -hmm. And I thought that it was like, like safe, like okay affection Mm -hmm. and thought that God was blessing me with it. Like I didn't, um, so he had to, so that's what he did is he began this kind of slow transition into it being more romantic. And, um, when I realized, okay, like, I don't know that I can get him to stop. I thought, well, I don't really care how he feels about me. Like I'm not going to do anything wrong and we're not doing anything wrong. So Mm -hmm. as long as he doesn't do anything inappropriate, like then I don't really care how part of his heart feels about me kind of thing. Yeah. And then it got to where he made a a full on, like just assaulted me in a very egregious way. And I just start sobbing and tell him I can't survive it. And I just like, it felt like my whole world crashed in on me and, um, kind of like a TV playing static. It was mm-hmm. just like all this memories hitting me. I thought, I cannot believe you are just like every single other man I have ever encountered. Yeah. You know? When you've been sitting in there telling him about all the abuse you suffered and he, unfortunately, because he's a terrible person, he used that to yep. then target you. I just couldn't believe it. Like in a million years, I didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. And, um, what I saw was wrong was, or what I saw coming was maybe he was feeling too emotionally strong for me. I did not see anything sexual at all. So yeah. what do I do? I want to tell my husband everything, but I feel like if I do, he's going to ask me why he was sitting close to me and that it's going to come back on me. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I can't do that because I'm going to get blamed. So I went to my close friend and mentor, the pastor's wife, and I tell her what happened and she basically blows me off. She said, well, maybe he's trying to teach you to stick up for yourself since you were abused as a child. I know. No. Yeah. No. She did. I was so crushed. Yeah. I mean, she was like 
she was like my everything, like my closest relationship. And I knew in that moment I'm on my own. Yeah. I'm not telling anybody else. I'm not telling a soul. But then where did that leave me? With no one except the abuser. So not that I'm planning to go back, but over just a period of a weekend, he, I'm so isolated. I am like feeling suicidal. Mm-hmm. I need the support. Yeah. So he, he um, ends up calling me into his office and he produces one tear and it wasn't even really an apology, but my brain took it as one. Like you needed and it so bad. I needed it. One. Yeah. Yeah. I needed it. So I saw it that way. And, um, my, of course, a friend of mine laughs that he squirted that, that water on his face, <laughs> but I thought, see, he is sorry. See, he didn't mean it. Like he's so broken that this happened that he, he was trying to care about me as a father and then it got anyway yeah um, on and on and I go back but very afraid and he doesn't make any moves this is um May and he doesn't really try anything else Mm -hmm. the month of June goes by and then he starts asking weird questions with a sexual nature and I'm thinking again I'm thinking what Because I don't know that this started a year and a half ago. I don't know that this is like a game. And I don't know that I'm in this little, you know, bubble. And I'm like a little lab rat, you know. Yep. And so I start to get, yeah, pretty disturbed by those comments. And I think, oh, my gosh, does he really think? And, you know, I won't won't give it away. um, But the last couple weeks were pretty much sexual in nature. I don't do what he asks, but I do the minimum I feel like I have to do to keep the relationship, which is mm-hmm. what's so sad. Yeah. He dangled out our connection like a carrot and I kept doing a little more than I wanted to do while I'm like panicking and thinking I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it and while yeah. I'm oh, talking to God and It was just, it was awful. I just felt like I was drowning and I I didn't have anybody because, and that's why sexual abuse is so devastating because you, you're pretty sure at least part of it's your fault. So you don't ask for help. I couldn't ask for help to leave because I thought, well, they're going to ask too many questions. And that's what's so sad. Like, especially with you being an adult is that I'm sure you really felt that like this, this is part me and it, it wasn't at all. Of yeah. course. And and I didn't know that till much after I, I get out. And then I it took years, you know, to see mm-hmm. that it wasn't me. Yeah. I'm glad you finally saw that. And were you just, once you were ready, like, once he made you so uncomfortable, did you just decide to step away? And I couldn't leave on my own. I tried. No. And I, I just, I, I felt just like. He would guilt me or I would, you know, he told me it would kill him if I left and I felt sorry for him and I felt like I owed him after all he had done for me that was good or I thought was good. Mm-hmm. Um, so the final straw was um, I essentially, you know, ask him if we can just talk something we hadn't done for a few weeks. Right. And he said something back so cold and so cruel that I knew, I knew in that moment that this, this was a not joke. the person that you thought he was. He does not care at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he is absolutely, purely using you 
like for sport. Like this is funny to him. This is, he, you mean nothing. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and sadly, I still felt like I had to go through the rest of the session oh. before I could leave. Mm -hmm. But when I left, I, I was gonna get help. And so I went back to my pastor's wife, but this time I told her husband. And I told them everything and I said, I just need help not going back. Like if you could just help me go not go one time, I can break the tie because my sessions were three hours long at this point. Mm -hmm. And during that, you know, even, even in that three hour session that they sat with me and I didn't go, I oh. didn't call, I didn't go. That's how I broke that tie initially. Um, he called me nine times and I would have totally caved. Yeah. I started to feel sorry for him, like an hour or two in, like, well, kind of sounds so sad. Like maybe I should at least, and they were like, no, you know, They're, so. Yeah. No, I'm glad they that were was there what, for you then. Yeah, that's what helped me. And then that began the healing process and the detachment took a long time, but I knew I wouldn't go back. Yes. After so, that. So like the, the, the chains were cut. Um, but the attachment took a while to fade. It took a long time just to fully break out of. Did he still go to that same church you were at? or My pastor, about a week later, confronted him and told him he had to step down as elder. And at this point, I'm like, just let him, just help me get out. That's all I want. I just want to get away. So you're still and trying to I don't care what happens. Just let him. I still think he's good to everybody mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. And I still think that what he did to me was more accidental or just maybe something weird with me mm. again it's something Blaming wrong with me right again yeah um so um so that's how it started and, and he asked him to sit down as elder and eventually i told a friend who was a mandated reporter and she said i have to report him to the medical board and i said no i don't want anybody to know and eventually i'm on board with that and i do report to the medical board oh good and then and they do allow him to surrender his license permanently in my state, which I learned was um, fairly rare. They don't, usually a doctor can reapply after a year. Oh. But this was, they, I think they said the fifth permanent surrender that they'd ha had in like 20 years. Wow. Um, so that felt good. And then mm -hmm. eventually I file a civil suit because therapist abuse is not a crime in my state. Yes, that was something I was going to ask you about. So yeah, it's they can't be it's prosecuted. Only, no, not really. Well, you can, but you're gonna. This is what I was told. You can try, but they're gonna. It's gonna be brutal for you and your family, and he will walk because it is not criminal for a therapist to be sexual with a client in my state. Therefore, it would just be a he said, she said, and I'm an adult. They, I would have, and there's no witnesses. Yeah. Oh. So it's like, good luck with that. And um, That's... I did talk to a couple of attorneys about that and they advised me, absolutely do not go that route. It will destroy you and your family and he will walk. And I imagine it's even a scary process in those 32 states that do have criminal legislation. I still imagine that's a pretty brutal process. Because it's but at still, least, yeah, like what? at least then if you can prove that there was sexual activity or whatever, um, their law is at least, at least that's all you have to prove, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you don't have to prove that it was consensual because people in a position, you know, in a position of power, you know, there's no one. Yeah. You can't give consent in an imbalance of power relationship. Right. 
yes but so i cannot believe that especially like that is just wild and he was also a doctor so he was a doctor it's like oh that's so frustrating that he couldn't be criminally prosecuted um did have you wrapped up your civil suit like did did yeah it was it was a three-year process and it did feel like at least some sense of justice and that i at least could stand up for myself but again it was really just between my attorney and his insurance company Mm -hmm. and it wasn't even really about him at all yeah and you know it's all just it's just business yeah it was something but it wasn't quite as satisfying as a criminal it's not Right. It's not what a victims deserve. Yeah. But it's something. And it was all that was available to me. So that's why I did it. It is so unfair that people can be uh, can be criminally charged and have to register as a sex offender for doing much less. Yes. And here and I he was is. not the only victim. You were not. And how did you no. find that out? Because you had friends that went to him, right? Like you knew other people that went to yeah. him. Later in the book, you'll read uh, another victim comes forward from my same church and we, you know, compare notes and, and then I learned of a couple that have committed suicide that I can't, you know, obviously I can't uh, Mm -hmm. say were a result of him, but I know there was inappropriate relationship happening. Oh, that's devastating. Yeah. And and then I know of some that came forward that didn't want to see themselves as a victim. They... They wanted to see it as mutual because it's kind of embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Like it's know, hard for them it. to come forward and say, yeah, like I was, they'd rather, I was tricked. Yeah. They'd rather say, no, I chose, I chose to do that. You know, but there's things that I can't share. Yeah. I feel like legally, but yes, I learned of a lot of different situations. Yeah. And the devastation to some of these other people is just is just immense and he got to pretend to retire and move away yeah and that's like that sucks that he's just able to go on and live his life when he caused damage to all these people and I mean it's it's sad to me for the people who don't want to see that they were a victim of his because he I don't know it's just he obviously did it to so many people that this pattern is like a dangerous pattern and you know being a predator like a predator like this can lead to you know even worse things he could escalate he could do it to other people did he ever advise children like you know you don't know it's just yeah yeah I have suspicions about that too but you know it's not my yeah you like did what you could yeah. You obviously, it sounds like you're the one who really kind of at least got him to stop operating, which yes, that's amazing for you that you came forward and did this. Other victims were probably able to feel some sense of like, okay, like you felt like I'm not alone. Right. So I had one victim that, that came forward that said, thank you. You saved me from him. She was just trapped like she couldn't leave. She had this weird trauma bond and mm-hmm. it had gone on for decades. Oh, that is so and, sad. Yeah, it is very sad. So and all of this trauma and everything you kind of learned about grooming 
and predatory behavior through this experience. That's what led you into writing your book, Preyed Upon. Right. Yeah, I, I really wanted to understand what happened. I was trying to forgive myself and I, I didn't get it. So how was I supposed to, how are other people supposed to get it? So I really wanted to write it out and see what happened. And um, that's where I kind of could really see the manipulation when I really analyzed it. And then after I wrote it, I thought, you know, I never planned to write a book and I never planned to publish a book, but mm -hmm. I thought I wish other adult victims could know that they're not alone. And, and like, if it can happen, if it happened to me, I, mean, I just can only imagine how many others are out there. And so I decided I wanted to put it out there for, for them. And then I also wanted, um, and I worked over the book, worked on the book for over a period of years. So yeah. it took a long time for me to have enough healing to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I felt very embarrassed and ashamed in the beginning. And I had to get to a place where I was over that and that I was strong enough to get the hateful comments that I was going to receive. Mm -hmm. The people that, you know, still loved the abuser. And yep. The people who are that like little... abuser apologists. That's the thing with, um, yeah. it kind of reminds me with him being in the church. We had this guy we went to high school with. He even spent time in our house last year and with some of our friends he went up to a cabin with all of us and he's single. My husband and our friends were all kind of coupled up. We all went to high school together, but there was a few of them that were not married and they were men and they came up to the cabin and, you know, I thought nothing of it, yada, yada. My kids slept in my room, but later on we found out and he was arrested this last year for child pornography and that was like scary to me because I obviously am very immersed in this world. I do this podcast. Like I felt like, oh my gosh, like how did I know someone and have someone around me that like could have been looking at my kids in the wrong way or is this predator? But what I noticed when it all came out, I knew about it before he was arrested because he had been living at one of our other friend's house when this happened. So the law enforcement had been talking to him yada yada and anyway I was waiting for it to come out so I could share it because I'm like this is a guy that we a lot of people in this town know and people need to be aware don't have him come around you don't have him come around your kids and I noticed because we live in a very religious community as well Christian and um Mormon I'm sure you've heard of that and like we grew up that way, everything. So I noticed everyone when he was arrested, everyone kept commenting on the thing. Well, he's a good guy. Like he went on a mission. He's, he's a good guy. He goes to church. Like let's not judge him before his conviction and yada, yada. And that was very frustrating to me that people were kind of blowing off these you know this predator against children it it was pretty graphic what they explained in the video like the videos that he was watching and uploading I mean they were babies and so for them to you yeah so for them to use the church as like well he's a good guy it, I was just like man people need to be educated that they can seem like good guys but they're know, not and, and how many times 
I mean, we all know this. How many times have we seen these shows on these sociopaths, these serial killers that are wonderfully charming, intelligent, nice people? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... We see it all around us. I think when it all of a sudden gets placed into someone's life and it's someone they know, I don't know why it's hard for some people to just accept it. Because... Because they feel personally threatened Mm -hmm. because it threatens their own judgment that they didn't see it. You know, it threatens their little safety bubble Mm -hmm. that there's danger lurking amongst their own congregation or whatever. It's just very threatening. And, you know, I had a therapist tell me, you know, life is much too scary if we truly admit that these people are lurking around everywhere and none of us can spot them. So we feel better mm-hmm. if we tell ourselves that um, we could spot them. And only those kind of people get taken advantage of anyway, you know, kind of the whatever people want to say. Right. It's more the unstable ones or whatever. I talk about this a lot because I have learned firsthand that it is not just those kind of people. It no. is if you are human, you are vulnerable. Yep. If you, because we, no matter who you are, you can be right. victimized, and that's what's yeah. scary about these people, because they trick you, clearly, because they'll still somehow have some supporters after they are yeah. exposed to the world for who they really are. But I'm glad that you have written this book and you were able to have him stop, because I feel like he would have clearly gone on to abuse more people. Yes. Since he was abusing so many. Um, was it, how how was your husband with you? Was that super hard it, for you guys it, to get it through? It was really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, we were very disconnected. So, mm-hmm. and then here this comes along and it was just like an, an explosion, you know, like just yeah. throwing, lobbing some dynamite into our house and into our relationship. Mm-hmm. But it did force us both my husband said where have I been like it was like a wake-up call like I've been so shut down I'm so disconnected I don't know anything that's going on with you like where have I even been Mm -hmm. and so it was like good in the sense that it really kind of obliterated our relationship but it was one that needed so much tending to that then we could start to rebuild and you know a healthier relationship for the first time Mm -hmm. you know and it's not like um you know, when you get married and then you have kids and your relation, you start to grow apart. It's not like that for us. We had always been to some degree emotionally separated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, this was a horrible trauma, but I think only by the grace of God did he use it for good to, yeah. to help us. And so we had to go through though the ups and downs and he initially, I told him everything cause that's just the person that I mm-hmm. am. I told him everything that that I could. And, you know, I was advised after the fact by a psychologist who often sits in these court cases and, um, is the, uh, like the, the legal witness for the transference process. And the, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, yeah, I'm probably, but- I'm probably butchering that, oh, no. but <laughs> he said that what, when this, when a case like this is brought to him, the first thing he does is sit down with a couple and inform the husband, typically it's the husband, that the wife was a victim of a crime. Mm-hmm. And do victims of crimes owe explanations? 
Yes. To anybody? Mm -hmm. No, you don't owe anyone yeah, anything. Exactly. But for the sake of my marriage, I told him everything and it, and he saw it as an affair at first and it was devastating and I knew that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know how to, you know, it's like you're stuck. I mean, you, you, you can't keep the secret. It will destroy your relationship. If you tell, it could destroy your relationship. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to lose my marriage and my family. Like I didn't. Like heroes victimized. That's why when victims come forward, they have so much to lose. Yeah. And very little so to scary. gain. Um, and I, I know victims that are adults that have still held that secret from their spouse. And I know that's got to be very heavy. But so we had to work through that. And in time, he clearly saw that. It, yes. That I fell for that father figure mm -hmm. and that I would never do anything like this in a million years. Well, and it's probably, be, yeah. It's probably that same thing where he had to get an education on that this can happen to adult people because like you said a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people don't realize you can be abused yeah. by a therapist so I'm sure for your husband he had to work right. through that I'm glad he's a great man it sounds like yeah that could be yeah. you know move past that and I mean, we're really closer educate yes it made you closer I'm so glad because I'm sure that was yeah. such a trial to go through yeah and and when you do start to go through that and you're feeling anger towards your spouse for like putting you through that, um, I educated myself through tell the organization that um, spouses are secondary victims. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they need their hurt also. Um, my children were hurt, like there's devastation all around. So you have to be patient as they heal because they were betrayed as well. And they have to eventually separate out, you know, that that we weren't the one doing the betrayal, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they were betrayed by this abuser. Yes. Or taken advantage of. Yes. You know so what it's I mean? like they kind of can take that anger about the whole thing and figure out how to place it at the right yeah. person. The person right. who's exactly. actually the abuser. And that takes time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you so, guys worked through it. That's really cool. And your relationship with God, did it make that stronger or what did it was it hard to you know that was one blessing for me in that i had been angry with god most of my life um just frustrated with religion in general and with god and i didn't think he could answer us that that in 2012 2013 that i when i had connected with god and realized he was present and he could answer me and and interact with me um it gave me what I needed to be able to, to survive this because I don't think my faith, I, I don't think my faith would have been able to, you know, survive had I not been in that place. Mm -hmm. um, so this did strengthen my relationship with mm -hmm. God because when I was going through it, I had nobody else. I had nobody. Mm -hmm. um, God was it. And I didn't know how I'd survive it. I didn't even know if I wanted to survive it. And so I clung to him because really out of desperation and survival yeah and then you know he brings me healing and then yeah along it's the been way like a yeah. good relationship I'm glad I'm glad that it like yeah. strengthened that for you so in our your book our our listeners if they purchase your book they read it they're going to learn about grooming they're going to learn about more about your story predatory behavior is there anything else like you want to add that your book is going to give them? I think it 
will be an incredible book for people to purchase and read. Just like I said, with gaining an education on these things, I think it's very important. And, you know, hopefully it will help someone. I'm sure it's already helped a ton of people out there who are maybe going through the same thing or maybe, you know, feeling those same feelings of feeling worthless or alone. So, yeah. um, And I talk about like rules at the beginning of my book, which are just essentially negative tapes that I had about myself that I carried into adulthood. And those are universal to all of us and and affect all of us. So, you know, you don't have to relate to therapist abuse um, to benefit from that the way that Mm -hmm. our childhood experiences and the way we interpret those we bring that into adulthood and the havoc that can wreak for us like I had a friend read the book who had experienced um, domestic violence and she related to it just Mm -hmm. any situation yeah you know so it's fairly universal I hope people will We'll give that a chance, you know, yeah. that it doesn't just have to be about this. And oh, then- yeah. No, I I mean, I haven't suffered therapist abuse and I've loved your book. Like I've, I've thought you. there's been so many powerful quotes. I even, I think I had a quote in here that I was just like, that is a great quote where you were talking about how the biggest burden for adult victims of sexual abuse is that double bind it creates. And how you go on to say that it forces you as the victim to act as participants in your own abuse and puppets in your demise. And I, even when I had first read that, I was like, that's powerful because I think that can kind of be any trauma, you know, you go through as an adult. So I've related to it so far. I think, I think your book's incredible. So yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to it. And also, like I said, get an education on these things yeah and the only other thing I would add to that we've kind of touched on it is kind of risks in coming forward um, Mm -hmm. avenues towards justice if you come forward um, how you can heal from something like this what you what a spouse what a marriage will go through um, you know but overall a hopeful message you know that it is survivable Mm -hmm. and you know that you can even have a good life after it will likely look different from the one you had before. I'm still in the process of rebuilding Mm -hmm. and it is slow, but um, not all is lost. You know, I feel like you don't have to stay traumatized, Yeah. you know, forever. Mm -hmm. You don't forget, but you can move on. Yeah. Like you can feel peace and happiness and it's going to take time. Yeah. No, I love that. So where can they find your book? I found it on Kindle. I've been, you sent me um, like a link, but then I've also, like I said, I have like 10 minutes extra a day. So I've taken my time. So I found it on Kindle. You can buy it there. I saw it on Amazon. Yeah. And you can buy the paper book in anywhere books are sold. Oh, cool. But the ebook is only on Amazon. And then you can also get an autograph paperback from my website. And I always send a gift with purchase. Oh, I love that. Like if they buy it just for me directly, I can love on them a little bit more. Yeah, yeah I love that. Um, so what's your website? It is www.amynordhues.com. Perfect. And, and you can email me I'll respond and I have as many resources as I've been able to 
find on there as well. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And do you have, are you on social media at all? A place yes. where people can follow you or? Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram, although my Twitter account is behaving badly lately. <laughs> um, and LinkedIn and I and TikTok just started. Oh, awesome. So I'm pretty much everywhere. And with my name, it's mm -hmm. in different, sometimes it's Amy Nordhues, yeah. sometimes it's Amy Nordhues author, but search Amy Nordhues. You're going to find her. I'm going to go find yeah. you on everything after this. Um, and yeah, I, I have a love talking with you. I think you are amazing. Your story, like it, it like hurts me, but also like, I think you're so brave for doing your book coming out with your story and just bringing awareness to therapist abuse. So I'm super glad that I had you on here today and yeah, I could not thank you more. Thank you. You are so sweet oh, and I'm glad course. it worked out for us today. <laughs>